following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Bibles to um, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, to Colossians, um, chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in all things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue uh, securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Let's pray. Lord, on this day of days and mornings of mornings, um, we thank you for the gift of yourself, that your answer to so much of the pain and the suffering of this world was to give us yourself. As we come to wrestle with what it might mean that you would have first place in all things, can you uh, be at work by your Spirit, opening up your Word, um, slaying us and bringing us alive again for Jesus' sake. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Very good. Very well done. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had a fairly interesting Holy Week. Um, A friend of mine was uh, beaten up really, really badly and was put, a guy who I've played a bit of cricket with and against, um, was put into intensive care. some form of sick street justice to literally kick his head in. And many of you will know who I mean. Um, Also during this Holy Week, I heard from a friend who had sacrificed a lot in terms of um, his life as he knew it, in order to be able to set himself aside to serve God. And in this past week or so, he's heard that his wife has a growth on her breast. And so, you know, I turn on the TV and I hear just this morning that the boss of one of the major companies in New Zealand, his plane's gone down and his wife with him. A young boy, toddler, went out to look, uh, play in the sea and got trapped in the mudflats and was, do- was, was found dead. Uh, you know, for responsible parents, it's almost necessary to turn the news off as part of responsible parenting. So we come to, 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 to Resurrection Sunday and we say, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And we whisper with our fingers crossed, hopefully. I, I think. I hope. 
See, if we're honest, I actually think that Good Friday makes more sense to us than today, than Easter Sunday. We get Good Friday, like, you know, the, the, the killing of another problematic person in some back room deal, that's not unusual. We, we're used to that. That's stuff that happens all the time. We're well used to that. But what we're not used to is someone getting up out of a grave. And so we're far more comfortable, actually, I think, with Good Friday than Easter Sunday. And that's true if you look, for example, within Christian art. There's a lot more art about the crucifixion than there is about the resurrection. Or Mel Gibson produces this film that wins critical acclaim about the crucifixion of Jesus, prolonged crucifixion of Jesus. Um, I just wonder what it's like to make a film about the resurrection. Christ is risen, we say. He's risen, uh, hopefully, I hope, because when we look out on our world, what we most often see is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering for a lot of people a lot of the time. We don't have to stretch our imaginations to believe that there's needless violence, senseless violence, and that it's still being used by the powerful as a weapon to set aside those who are getting in the way. It takes no imagination at all to imagine that violence is being used to shut irritants up. It takes no imagination at all to imagine that if someone's caught by uh, the authorities or the powerful, that when they're taken into a back room for questioning, they just can't help roughing them up a little. Be it Guantanamo Bay, be it Abu Ghraib, be it um, you know, prisons within New Zealand systems. It takes no stretch of our imagination at all. That's what we're used to. That's the world that we know. See, we just struggle to get the resurrection. And I don't think we should be too concerned about that because the early disciples didn't get the resurrection either. Remember, the women come running back from the grave when it's empty and they tell the men and they say, ah, uh, that's nonsense. That's stupid talk. You know, we can't trust these women. They're all a bit, you know, um, exuberant. Um, and so that I'm an equal opportunity offender, which means I offend everyone. You know, what were the men doing? The men weren't there. See, we don't get the resurrection. We're much more comfortable with, with Good Friday, with death, with violence, with war, with, with power, the abuse of power. We're much more used to that. Our imaginations are formed by that sort of stuff. Often, to try and pick up on this theme, we, we, we try to make Good Friday or, or Jesus' crucifixion particularly special. You know, Jesus... Um, suffered a particularly special kind of death. He, he suffered in a special kind of way. And we do that so that we're able to sentimentalize it a bit. We say, oh, poor Jesus. Poor Jesus. Look what they did to him. Look what they did to Jesus. And then we go on Facebook and click like under crucifixion and say, oh, poor Jesus. We, we, we share our pity with Jesus. But actually, when you read in the New Testament, that's the very thing that Jesus doesn't want. He doesn't want some cheap fix to our discomfort. He's not offering a cheap grace. He doesn't want us to pity him. He says to the woman, you know, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. I don't want the quick fix, the release of emotion that when you're feeling uncomfortable. 
No, no, because what that does is to neuter Jesus. It allows Jesus to stay at a distance. We like him on Facebook as part of our selectivism. And um, there Jesus remains, peacefully abstracted from us. Because the reality is, as we're wondering, oh, look what they did to Jesus. We have to put ourselves actually as part of the they. We stand amongst this culture of violence. We stand amongst this culture of power. We stand amongst this culture of privilege. And we are often those who are part of the them and the they. And we have to hear Jesus upon the cross saying, Father, forgive them to speak to us. We're part of the them. We're part of the people that Jesus is speaking about. See, Jesus wants us to hear the word of the crucifixion and resurrection as a radical call to us. At the cross, there's this kind of irony that the one who's hanging up there dying is representing life. And the ones who are living, watching on, are representing death. So the cross is this great no to humanity and our violent ways. But it's a yes at the same time to humanity in Christ. This is what we're being offered in Jesus' death and resurrection. This call for us to hear the no of God and the yes of God at the same time. The call for us to have transformed lives, to come out of this culture of death, to be renewed and set free from slavery to that kind of life, and being offered new life in Christ. This way that is not about the love of power, but the power of sacrificial love. And it demands change within us. William Willimon says, you know, to keep the status quo is a sin against Sunday. You know, so for those of us who are used to the status quo and get along quite well within the world of status quo, well, that's actually a sin against Sunday, says Willimon. And what we get in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we find that Paul the Apostle knows that we struggle to shape our imaginations to imagine life different than it is, different than the status quo. And he draws on the worldview that the early Christians held and subverts it with the gospel. So we read within the, this passage, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him... All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. So if you live within the Roman Empire of the first century and you hear this, who do we think is being spoken about? If you're a Christian, who's Paul writing about? Jesus. No. Now, if you live within the first century, these are the words that are used of the Roman emperor. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. That's the language that's used of the Roman emperor. That's the world, that's the status quo as they knew it. Within the Roman empire, the emperor would be the one who would control all things. And he would offer, as we read on later in the passage, he would make peace, Roman peace. He would stand over all thrones and powers and rulers and dominions. And what we find Paul doing in this passage is he takes this kind of worldview that was going around that was common for everyone. It's the world as we knew it. It was the status quo. He takes it and subverts it and says, no, no, Caesar is not Lord. Christ is. Christ is Lord. 
He is the true Lord. Here is creation's king amongst us. And it's as if someone who was writing to our context today says something like this. Well, just as the gospel has been investing and growing in the whole world, um, so it's producing rich dividends amongst you. We wouldn't miss the overtones of subversion that's going on there. This is what Paul's doing in the passage. Paul offers a vision not of some neutered, polite Christ, but this true king of all things. And it's repeated again and again and again, seven, eight times within the passage. The firstborn of all creation, things visible and invisible, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul just keeps hammering this home because the Christians had learned to accept the polite status quo and added Jesus in for that. Jesus was part of the status quo. He didn't rework the status quo. And here is a golden rule about the gospel. The gospel as we know it is Jesus plus nothing else. You know, the gospel is the one place where addition is subtraction. You add to Christ, you take away from the gospel. That's what Paul is hammering home here, time and again to these Christians. The whole fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus. The one who speaks the universe into being by his powerful word has now come in person to redeem the creation. So that when we see Jesus um, stilling storms, lepers being cleansed, here is the creation being renewed by its true Lord. Here is the creation being set to rights. And in Jesus' faithful ministry and faithful humanity, he offers the perfect faithful sacrifice to the Father of a covenant response, the perfect response of humanity to God. And it's for that that God raises him up. The resurrection is God's no to our status quo. And it's a yes to causing trouble with Jesus. That's what Easter offers us. And this redemption I think really interestingly, isn't based on our ability to be first truly, really, really sorry for all the sins that we've done. What's really fascinating in the passage in verse 21, and you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, you know, while you were far off, Christ died for you. The good news of Easter is that God comes to meet us where we're at, on the outskirts of town, at the dump, rolling dice, mouthing obscenities at God. That's where God comes to, for us. And for many of you this morning, perhaps that's where you're at. You know, maybe you're here because a relative said, it's Easter time, it's time you got to church and dragged you along here for an annual visit or maybe a biannual visit. Um, for others, maybe actually faith is threadbare for you. And you're just holding on. For others, you need to hear the stunning word of Easter. It's that God comes to us where we're at. Many of us can't come to Christ for whatever reasons. So what does the risen Christ do? He comes to you. 
he comes to you. It's fine, because that's how the risen Christ rolls. Forgiveness offered by Jesus isn't based on our ability to be really, really, truly sorry. See, within our world, if someone does us wrong, we think, right, I'm going to rub your nose in it until you grovel for forgiveness, until you're really, truly sorry, you know, and this is true at a national level of war. You know, we will bomb them and bomb them until they're really, truly sorry, and then we'll forgive them. Now, that's not what's offered here. <laughs> Long before we were ever sorry, Jesus upon the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So long before we know what we're doing, long before we even know that we need to be forgiven, Christ's forgiven us. This is kind of a preemptive strike, preemptive forgiveness. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And it's as if on that dark, dark afternoon, Jesus speaks the first words of new creation. The same powerful word that spoke the world into being speaks out, Father, forgive them. You know, it's as if on that, that day, the first words of the new creation are, let there be forgiveness. Let there be forgiveness. And with it, comes this amazing new creation. Let there be forgiveness. And for some of us today, we need to hear that. Let there be forgiveness is the first words of the new creation. The offer of radical grace and preemptive forgiveness long before we ever deserved it. And it's out of this grace and it's out of this forgiveness that new creation begins. Christ is raised up from his forgiving life. And he offers to us a new creation, a new way to be human. A forgiven and gracious life found in him. And it's not only just us as people who are renewed. If you look in this passage in verses 16 and 17... It's about thrones and powers and rulers and dominions. It's about the whole of creation. The resurrection isn't just about me and you getting our lives out of here and off to heaven. No, it's the renewal of all things, the whole creation, everything to be renewed. That The vanquishing of sin is the offer of creation to be the way that God always intended it to be. God doesn't give up on the world. It's not salvation out of the world. It's the salvation in the world, within the structures of the world, to set this world to rights. For God so loved the world, not hated, for God so loved the world He sent His Son, that God wants to desperately renew this world, to set it to rights. And it's a call for us as those who have accepted this great and wonderful news to be agents of new creation. And we've heard about it before, I mean, brilliant stories of being agents of the new creation. People who live for nothing other than God's new creation, a world set to rights by grace and preemptive forgiveness. We are called to be the community of the new creation. So, you know, if the new creation is a movie, then the church is meant to be the trailer for that movie. People are meant to be able to watch the church to know what it's going to be like when all things are made new. 
We are the trailer to the whole film. And that calls upon us to live in this world, but to live differently. To let grace reign, to let preemptive forgiveness shape and change us. That there's a different way to flourish, there's a different way to be human. It's fascinating the way in which preemptive forgiveness and radical grace kind of confounds the status quo. It upsets the status quo. They have no clue what to make of it. No idea what to make of these things. It happens all the time. So now we have this new Pope, and, and he's just trouble everywhere. If you haven't read anything about him, you need to. He's just a troublemaker. He's just one of these wild, crazy dreamers that God unleashes on the world. Um, he comes to his inauguration. He's meant to wear the cape. No, nope, no cape. Uh, he's meant to go home in the bulletproof big limousine thing. No, in the minivan with all the boys on the way home. Um, you know, he's meant to have them come up while he sits on his big throne and, and at his inauguration, and each of the bishops are meant to come up and, and, you know, pledge allegiance to him. No, no, none of that. Off the throne he comes, stands amongst them. Come on, boys, we're in this together. And just like the, the religious leaders, you know, the pastors and the lecturers of the day like me, you know, they're there grumbling, 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 um, just like it was in the New Testament. And then what did he do? Yeah, morning, morning Thursday, what did he do? Oh, oh, I'm off to the prison now. I'm off to the prison. I've just got some feet to wash. I'll be right back. Um, off to wash some feet. And grumble, 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 says, you know, those who are of the status quo. We're not meant to be the people of the status quo. We're meant to be the troublemakers. We're meant to be the crazy dreamers. We're meant to be the ones with all sorts of wild ideas about what life is like lived under Christ. That's what the resurrection offers, a totally different way of being human within the world, a totally different way of human flourishing. And it's meant to cause problems. Someone said to, this week to me, um, I think Jesus wants me to be naughty. You know? And I think Jesus was naughty. Is what they, <laughs> that's, well, that's really interesting. The resurrection isn't a pat on the back to the status quo, it's a slap in the face to the status quo. It's a call for us to be naughty in the name of Jesus, to unleash crazy dreams, grace and preemptive forgiveness. In the book of the Revelation, this, this focus on all things, all things, all things, comes to this great crescendo. Jesus says, the risen Christ says, behold, I'm making all things new. And again, the church is meant to be the trailer of what that looks like, that great movie. That's what we're meant to be. Behold, I'm making all things new, says the risen Christ. There will be no more mourning, no more pain, no more crying. And it's not a dream for us because we're not, the salvation isn't out of the creation. It's this redemption of creation, this created world that God loves. We're meant to ask not, oh, gee, I wonder when that day's going to be. What's the final countdown? We're meant to ask, what does the new creation look like in our world? Like, what would be no more, say, in a new New Zealand? What would be no more in a new New Zealand? What, what would be no more in a new Auckland? If this radical grace and preemptive forgiveness that is offered in Christ, comes to bear on our town. What does it look like? 
what would be no more? Any thoughts? What would be no more in a new Auckland? No more suffering. No more child poverty that grips our nation. No more child abuse. No more self-centered ignorance. And that's just the Christians. uh, (laughs) What else? What would be no more? No more beggars on the street. Who, I don't know if you're like me, we walk past without battering an eyelid. This is what it calls us to do. To be the community of the new creation. To begin to think what would be no more and then just give our lives to it, whatever the cost. Like just let Jesus wreck your life and get on with wondering what it looks like in this new creation. Whenever couples try to make another go of things, instead of calling in the lawyers to divide up the, the estate, well, behold, new creation. Whenever the hand of forgiveness is offered freely, well, behold, there's new creation. Whenever tongues are held because of the log in our own eyes, well, there, behold, new creation. Whenever the lepers are cleansed and the poor fed, behold, new creation. Whenever pea pipes are smashed by addicts, behold, new creation. Whenever justice is bought, or where repentance is real and forgiveness is offered, behold, new creation. Wherever art and business and medicine and education gives rise to true human flourishing, will there behold new creation. We are called to be the community of the new creation and to live in such ways in the light of the resurrection that we just confound the people around us. And often, I think, people outside the church can be further ahead of us than what we, we want to be ourselves. So there's a, there's a cafe that runs in a place called Denver in Colorado. And this cafe is called Same Cafe. So all may eat. Uh, That's what it's called, same cafe in Denver. And at this cafe, um, they've worked in soup kitchens for years, these people. And at this cafe, they decided, why should the poor be eating kind of the leftovers of our food, which we make into a bit of a broth for them and fill them up for the night? Everyone has the right to access good food at a reasonable rate. So what they did was to say, in our cafe, there's no prices. You pay what you can afford, or what you think the meal's worth, and that's our operating principle, along with a few others. You know, that's not the best business plan. But that, that, was, that was what they offered. And what happened, of course, is you have philanthropist business people coming in and saying, huh, this is really weird. Um, tell you what, I'll pay double. I'll pay twice the price I normally would for lunch. This is brilliant. And so here's this cafe been running now for nearly 10 years. And what happens is you have the media driving to their doorstep saying, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? That's just crazy. Why, you know, and they say, well, who says that a meal's meant to be worth 30 bucks? Well, who says? Oh, the market. Well, what's the market? Who says? And so I think there's a way in which we're to live in the light of the resurrection that confounds the status quo, that people come to us and say, what on earth are you doing? Why would you do that? And we say, well, I reckon this is a little bit like what the kingdom of God looks like. You know? But I guess the problem and the question for us all, including me, is, is anyone asking any questions of us? Because we say we've got the answers, but no one seems to ask any questions of us. Because often we look like the status quo. 
Can we live in such ways <laughs> that we create questions and confound the status quo? Let's, let's unleash the crazy dreamers on the world. Let the gospel reshape our imagination like Paul is doing in this passage. And then just unleash it on the, on the communities that we live in. Let the crazy dreamers have their day. This, I think, is when we hear, we say, Christ is risen. It's in these new ways, this, this, this challenging of the status quo, that we can honestly respond, He is risen indeed. The, the people sharing the story this morning, I mean, who cannot then hear that story from this morning and say, Christ is risen indeed? Indeed. I'll finish with this story. In communist Russia, um, the state spent years and years and years harassing, uh, um, dusting up, um, executing, and persecuting just thousands of Christians in communist Russia. Uh, they ran this massive propaganda campaign um, from what was quite a strident atheism to banish and get rid of the stupid Christian stuff, to get rid of it, and just they, they murdered thousands of people along the way. Towards the end of communism, an atheist lecturer stood up to address a workers' meeting in a really big lecture hall. Uh, he said this, Therefore, there is no God. Jesus Christ is a myth. And this is after thousands of people have died. They've burnt down churches, destroyed so much. The Holy Spirit is hysteria. The church and its priests are enemies of the people. The future belongs to the revolution, the workers, and the glorious communist party. At which point, an old priest stood up and said, um, Comrade, can I just say uh, two words? They're two in Russian, they're three in English. So the old man, uh, the, the lecturer says, fine, 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 you know, I'll tolerate it. And the old priest comes up, hobbling up onto the stage. And remember, you know, this is when churches and Christians have been raised to the ground. And he gets up in front of the, the, the community of the workers and he says, just simply, Christ is risen. And then they all shout back, he is risen indeed. Fifty years of persecution, fifty years of executions, of injustice and indoctrination could not get rid of the Christian faith. Because Christ is Lord of all things. And Christ is risen. He is Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.